0: Hi everyone, it's good to have you here at our online gathering. We're taking a Sunday to have a Sunday Sabbath gathering. It's our gift from our staff back to all of our great volunteers who help us particularly on Sunday morning to uh, worship Jesus and reach out to our community. I hope you had a tremendous Christmas. Heck, I, I hope it's still going on for you that you're surrounded by food and, and family and friends and you're just having a great time. I know I know we did. So yeah, it's, it's uh, really good to be here with you all or be wherever you are. And so again, we're, this is our Sabbath Sunday and we're going to talk about rest today. We're going to really tie in with this uh, idea of taking this day off to worship God, to rest and to find our center in that place of, of peace. And it's important that we do that because as we look at our culture, uh, we see that our culture is really obsessed with busyness productivity, efficiency, and so on. And it's leading to a lot of burnout, a lot of exhaustion. In fact, there was an article that came out just a couple years ago called How Millennials Became the Burnout Generation. Don't get stuck on the generational divide because I'm a Gen Xer, uh, and I know we have people all over the place where they can really relate to what the author, uh, Anne Helen Peterson, is talking about. So in it, she talks about this phrase, uh, errand paralysis which is the inability to find time and energy to complete the mundane tasks of our life. So she gets into the article and, and talks with different younger adults about mundane tasks in everyday life, like taking knives to be sharpened or taking your pet for a walk even, or getting your uh, a new license for her, her dog or uh, any of those things, even registering for, for uh, to vote. A lot of younger adults didn't vote in some of the last elections because they just couldn't get out and get registered to do that. So that's pretty incredible to think about. So she says this, the more I tried to figure out my errand paralysis, the more the actual parameters of burnout began to reveal themselves. Burnout and the behaviors and weight that accompany it aren't, in fact, something we can cure by going on vacation. It's not limited to workers in acutely high-stress environments, and it's not a temporary affliction. It's the millennial condition. It's our base temperament. It's our background music. It's the way things are. It's our lives. To describe millennial burnout accurately is to acknowledge the multiplicity of our lived reality, that we're not just high school graduates or parents or knowledge workers, but all of the above while recognizing our status quo. We're deeply in debt, working more hours and more jobs for less pay and less security, struggling to achieve the same standards of living as our parents, and psychological and physical precariousness all while being told that if we just work harder, meritocracy will prevail. And we'll begin thriving. The carrot dangling in front of us is the dream that the to-do list will end or at least become far more manageable. So who can't relate to this? I know for me, uh, I've dreaded going to the post office so much. I put it off for weeks at a time and even let kind of my like rebate or return expire because I just couldn't find the time or energy or whatever it is to, to stand in line at the the post office. And so I think Peterson is right. This level of burnout is not curable by a long weekend or time at the beach or any of those things it's a deeper core issue that many if not most of us really are struggling with Uh, while this author calls it burnout others call it perpetual exhaustion that feeling where you can never get enough sleep or rest and that you're always uh, lingering with this feeling of being on edge and one more little bump is just going to set you off and, and, and send you over the breaking point. So if you think of Clark Griswold and Christmas Vacation and his rants, hopefully you watched that and did not live through it this Christmas holiday. But I think, I think so many of us can relate to that feeling as humorous as some portray. With exhaustion, though... I think there are two key components that we can all relate to, and that's hurry and distraction. There's many more things that go into this feeling of exhaustion or burnout, but I think those two in particular uh, really affect us, and we need to dive into that to address them. So first, distraction. Social scientists have been studying our attention and how it's affected by technology. A new field called attention economics has emerged, referring to the scarcity of human attention and is applying economic theory to solve the information management problems in our lives. So for example, it's been shown that uh, our attention span in the year 2000 was around 12 seconds and it's shrunk now to about eight seconds, which is the same uh, attention span that goldfish has. I'm sure many of you have heard that. Uh, But it's striking and it's true that we are facing a crisis and living in a state of conscious, partial attention where the norm now is to be sitting and watching a movie and scrolling on social media at the same time while sitting next to your spouse and mumbling between the two of you while he or she is scrolling at the same time on their own device. That's just how it is right now. uh, Continuous, Partial attention is the norm. So if there's something that can set you a- apart in our world today, it would be uh, expanding your attention span to be able to perform what's called deep work. Deep work is also known as cognitive depth, the ability to work in a state of deep concentration and focus for a long period of time without distraction or interruption. So how many of you are watching or listening to this and doing other things in the background? No judgment. It's just how it is. We need to get to a place of being able to do what's called deep work. So Cal Newport, in the book of the same name, says this, the ability to perform deep work is becoming increasingly rare at the exactly the same time it is becoming increasingly valuable in our economy. As a consequence, the few who cultivate this skill and then make it the core of their working life will thrive. You'll thrive, you'll be able to contribute, you'll have creative ideas, you'll be compensated for those things at an increasing rate. He continues, once your brain has become accustomed to on-demand distraction, it's hard to shake the addiction even when you want to concentrate. To put this more concretely, if every moment of potential boredom in your life, say having to wait five minutes in line or sit alone in a restaurant until a friend arrives, is relieved with a quick glance at your smartphone, then your brain has likely been rewired to a point where it's not ready for deep work, even if you regularly schedule time to practice this concentration. So if we're not careful Actually, allow technology to rewire our brain and undercut the creative and, and part of us that loves to contribute and better society and help other people. That will be taken away from us because we're so addicted to our devices and distracted all the time. As John Mark Homer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says, What you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. Just sit in that for a moment. That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in his world. But not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the nonstop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation, and cultural drivel. As if we give it in the first place, much of it is stolen by a clever algorithm out to monetize our precious attention. So the other contributing factor to exhaustion we want to consider is hurry. Christian philosopher Dallas Willard called hurry the great threat to spiritual life today— he said that to follow Jesus with our true selves, we must root out hurry ruthlessly from our lives. So, have you ever thought about that? When you ever, uh, when you've thought about what is the, the 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 most important thing in the spiritual life to to confront or to to do away with or or to uh, 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 consider, uh, most of us would say things like maybe it's addiction or drugs, maybe it's um, uh, divorce, maybe it's. Um, the partisan warring in in politics and ideologies. But Christian philosopher Willard says it's hurry. And when you look at some of the stories and statistics on busyness and you start to realize what Carl Jung said, who's not a Christian, but uh, echoes this sentiment, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. And the Harvard Business Review conducted a study on, on business and found that in general, people uh, who are perceived as busy by others, so they're working harder and longer hours, so on, uh, that they're perceived as having a higher social status. So our whole culture is kind of built around this idea of if you're willing to burn the candle at both ends, you're seen as having a higher social status. You uh, get paid more, you uh, get better perks, and and things like that. Uh, The more we believe that one has the opportunity for success based on hard work, the more we tend to think that people who skip leisure and work all the time are of a higher standing. And so we live in this age of hacks. People are trying to figure out how to hack life to fit more in to a dwindling time. And so we... uh, we, we uh, have an ever-expanding list of things to get done, and we, so we create automation and, and robots. And listen, I'm not going back to the days pre-Roomba. I love that thing. That is amazing, right? So I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that we know when we're... we're Uh, constantly in this condition of hurry and trying to hack the system to fit more in we know what happens uh, because we're busy irritability sets and stress anger and anxiety we start to miss appointments because everything's kind of overlapping and we don't have margin broken promises to our families and our friends tension rifts miscommunication so on and so forth all due to a lack of time and an abundance of hurry in our lives but there's another way. Uh, Kasuika Koyama, who was a Japanese theologian, wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God, capturing the point that Jesus came to earth and walked among us. And, and he walked to and from places. I constantly have to remind myself there were no cars. There's no Uber in those days. They walked to and fro. Yeah, they got in a boat every once in a while, but that was slow going based on the wind. Jesus walked and talked with his disciples and the other people in his in his city. Uh, And he says this in his book, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would would have gone much faster. Love has its speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are all accustomed. It is slow, yet it's Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. So hurry... Plus, distraction is a surefire path to exhaustion and burnout. So how is the question? Can we push back against the cultural milieu that we find ourselves in and walk with God and live an intentional life? And so that takes us all the way back to the, the beginning of creation uh, where God creates heaven and earth. He calls it good. He calls it Tove. And Genesis 1, verse 27 Says this: I'm reading from the the NIV. God created mankind in His own image, in the image of God He created them, male and female. He created them. God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and that it was morning, the sixth day. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So, on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So the God created, that created us did so for connection and shared pleasure. Instead of being made as robots, rolled off the assembly line to increase God's productivity, God created us for relationship. And after he had created us, he took the day off to be with us in connection he didn't create Adam and then say, walk him around and say, look, this, this is what I need you to do and I'm gonna give you minimum wage and I'll give you a bonus at the end of the year if you've really surpassed. He, he took the next day and he spent time with Adam in relationship. That's the kind of God we have. All other gods are taskmasters. It's all about doing for and measuring up to and with God, it's about relationship with time spent together in rest. And it's not that work is bad for us. We actually find in those opening chapters, there is a garden that needs tended. There's beauty to be maintained. And God invites us into that working relationship to to work alongside him and, and with him to, to do that. But the point is that there's a priority, and it's not work so that you can rest. It's rest in God so that the work you do is flows from that relationship to him, and it fulfills meaning and purpose connected to God. Uh, Rich Viedos, uh, pastor and author in New York City, says this, "'Sabbath is not a reward for hard work. It's a gift that we receive.'" Humanity was created on the sixth day. Their first day was a day of rest. They lived from a place of rest. So for many of us, if we practice Sabbath, we've used it as a, as a time away from our job to usually catch up on things that we've fallen behind on. It's chores around the house, it's errands, it's taking the dog for a walk, it's taking the kids to, to sports practices, all the things that we don't have time to do when we're at work. So our Sabbath becomes that, that unpaid work but it still is work, and it's not really Sabbath in the way that God really intended it to be. God intended it to be an invitation where we pause and reconnect with him, with ourselves, and we, with each other. We, we rest, we get replenished, we do fun and delightful and happy things that, that fill us up. And Sabbath is where we're separated from our work. Even the unpaid work that we have to do at our own homes or the volunteer work that we do, it's it's a separation from that work so that we are reminded that our identity is not what we can give back, what we can produce, but our identity is in being connected to creator God. It's in a place of rest. So that we're reminded that we have work and value apart from what we can give or produce other people. And namely, God. We see these rhythms of work and rest alive in Jesus, tasked with the most important task ever given to a human being that's world redemption, redemption of the entire cosmos. It's pretty important work, right? Jesus still found time to rest and be replenished. He was often, people actually often wondered where did Jesus go? There's lots of work to be done, there's lots of people to be healed. There's lots of people wondering where he is, and yet he sneaks away for time with his father. It's very intentional with that. Jesus even takes naps and has no shame about it. I'm super glad for that. And he invited his followers in to mimic him and his lifestyle. And he says this in Matthew 11, verse 28. This is from the message translation. And I love this. I just, my, my hope would be we all get this verse would be in us and flow out of us. He says this, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? And, and instead of religion, you can even think of it as trying to prove your worth and value to other people, namely even God. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's just such a good invitation to all of us in the midst of a culture of exhaustion and burnout. Because in Jesus, there is rest, when we're connected to him, when we come to him and we reorient our lives around his priorities and practices, we can flow in that same spirit of peace that he did. That's his offer to us. So let's talk about some practical points of how we actually do Sabbath in our day and age, right? So some of the key words to this uh, are, are in the word Sabbath Itself or in the context of Sabbath. The original word for Sabbath is, is Shabbat. It's a Hebrew word that, that every Jew is very familiar with. And it means simply to stop. Shabbat means stop. It's a day where you stop your work in order to make room for other activities. That's what it is. Sabbath is one of the easiest things around, it's the most simple thing around. You stop what you're doing and you just be. So when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, Moses received the law from God, which governed the affairs of the new nation, and they were told to remember the Sabbath and to keep it, to keep it holy, to keep it set apart. It was a way to resist the culture of their Egyptian captivity and demanding more production that interrupted their life and relationships and worship. So ceasing from their work activities represented a liberation from the tyrannical demands of ever-increasing production that we can certainly relate to as, as work hours increase uh, 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 across the board. And it's a call to rest in God and know that he's the one in charge of things. Marvadan, in her book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, says this, a great benefit of Sabbath keeping is that we learn to let God take care of us not by becoming passive and lazy, but in the freedom of giving up our feeble attempts to be God in our own lives. So on Sabbath, we stop, but that's not all. God, through the prophet Isaiah, commanded the Jews to consider the Sabbath a delight. So I love that we have a God who says stop and delight. And that's really, if you could encapsulate Sabbath, it's those two things, stopping and delighting. So Sabbath is a day of enjoyment between God, yourself, and others. And so if you remember, again, the first full day that Adam spent alive was in rest with God. That's how his day started. And so uh, to frame this correctly and, and understand delight, maybe we need to ask ourselves the question, what do you think Adam saw when he opened his eyes for the first time? Did he see God who was delighting in him? Or when you think of that and and actually ask yourself that question, are you kind of under the impression that God was more like a suburban dad who is like talking to his teenager, saying, finally, you got up on Saturday. Good. We have a lawn to mow. We have tasks to do. Let's go. Let's go. Right? God is not like a suburban dad. Although, you know, there's a lot of cool suburban dads that I know. God is a God of happiness and delight. And I just, I have in my, my whole, uh, hopefully sanctified imagination, when, when Adam po- popped his eyes open for the first time, God was standing over him, delighting in Adam's wonder and enjoyment back to God. And so this is, un- this is important to understand because it's going to be hard to have Sabbath delight. If you think God is a taskmaster that's saying, wow, you really want to take a day off with your to-do list? Are you insane? But instead, if, if we serve a God that I believe that we do that is about delighting and stopping and pausing and resting, it's, it's, uh, you're more able to enter into that and you'll find creative ways to enjoy that that you wouldn't if you're just thinking that your to-do list get, is getting out of control and you're being lazy and passive about it, right? So ask yourself, What is it that I could do for a full 24 hours that would bring deep, settling, centering joy into my life? And then go do that or those things, whatever that is, that Sabbath, stopping and delighting in what God has done and giving him worship back and delighting in the people that he's put all around you. So, what does it look like for the Cider's family? So I just want to give you a couple uh, tidbits or you know peek behind the curtains. And this is not to say we do it perfectly, but it's to say that we really work at this. We actually have some intentionality behind it, and I'd love to share some things that we do that might help you as well. So you can steal anything that you find helpful, you can adapt it, you can you can make it your own. So at uh, 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 Saturday uh, Friday Uh, at sundown so it's about six o'clock or seven o'clock somewhere right in there we gather at our home, so I we plan this, we, we have a lot of things that we get done, our errands that need to get done, the food that needs to be bought, all those things are done by about six o'clock on Friday, and we meet in our kitchen, and we gather, and we cook a meal together, and we cook like really good meals, like from scratch pizza, or steaks, or just things that we really, really love, like all of our favorite foods, because we want to stop, and we want to delight, right? And so we get together, and we cook together, and we sit around our table and we light a couple candles and sometimes we uh, uh, read from the Psalms or, or read another portion of scripture and we ask each other, uh, what's your high and low from the last week? And we tell stories about, you know, things that are going well and things that aren't going well. We hear about our kids and about the touchdowns that they scored and about the projects they're working on, and the friends that they've made. And we hear about times that they feel alone or uh, scared or, or anxious and things like that. And then Sarah and I share with each other what's, what's going on with work and how's your spiritual life. And, and we check in on each other and we help, uh, try and help each other find God in the midst of that. It's not a therapy session. It's not a fix it session. It's a, where does God, uh, where do you find God showing up in the highs and in the lows throughout your week? And so we finish our meal and we have dessert. We stay up late. We watch a movie or play cards or do something like that. And then we sleep in on Saturday. And there's no apologies about that. We, we sleep in a lot and it is wonderful. And then we roll out of bed and... Uh, kind of figure out what we want to do for the day because at the same time where we plan being together we also don't want to cram the day full of stuff to do so we get up and after we sleep in we make brunch so we meet back around our table and we cook uh sarah like Sarah will tell you she's not a great cook, but she does brunch really well. So we do brunch really well. Because how can you not love a meal that you get to sleep in to have? And that's the whole purpose of it. And so we, we make pancakes, we make eggs, and then we have dessert. We have sometimes two desserts because my one rule on Sabbath is calories do not count. So I don't know if that's really a thing, but it's a thing for us. And so we have Sabbath delight, On Friday night and Saturday and then sometimes we'll do some one-on-one time either Sarah might uh, uh, and I might go out on a date or I might take and she might take one of the kids out to get some one-on-one time with them and so it really is this time where we stop we pause we rest we delight in each other's company we find new ways to connect and I should say all of our devices go in a drawer that might be one of the most important things that we figured out is that our kids actually look forward to Sabbath and they know at six, from six to six the next day, 6 p.m. to 6 p.m., they're not going to be on a screen playing video games and they're totally okay with it. So we read, we, we laugh, we, we wrestle, we go outside, we, we do all these sorts of things so that we are stopping and we are resting. Now, do we do this perfectly? Absolutely not. This is something we've had to tweak over the years. In fact, my Sabbath used to be on Monday, but when my kids went to school, I realized I was having Sabbath by myself. So we went, went to Friday and did, started doing a family Sabbath. So whatever season that you might be in, you might be hearing like, I can't do this. And that's okay. You don't have to do what we do. But what I do believe is that you could start somewhere. You could start where you're at with what you've got. And that's what I would challenge you to do. Maybe it's four hours without a phone. Maybe it's a long meandering meal with roommates. I don't know what it is for you, but you can start somewhere and see what God will do with it. So here's, here's my next step for you. Here's, here's my question for you to sit with. How is God asking us to stop and delight in this season of life that we're in? So again, thanks so much for being with us on our Sabbath Sunday. Love y'all so much. And we'll talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.